as a lifelong singer to sit in a doctor's office and hear the words, you may never sing again, for some reason was more terrifying to me than hearing the words, you might have cancer. Welcome to Health Stories, interviews inside the healthcare system. In this podcast, we invite you, the listener, to hear the real-life stories of caregivers, patients, clinicians, and other healthcare professionals as they navigate through our healthcare system. I'm Dr. Nicole Deffenbaugh, Clinical Communications Specialist, and I am joined today with my twin sister, Kimberly Deffenbaugh. She is a clinical social worker, and she is going to be talking about finding her voice and thyroid cancer. So welcome to the podcast, Kim. I'm honored to be here, Nick. <laughs> that's, a, that's a little strange having having your sister on the podcast, but um, this is long overdue. Uh, I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for some time to talk about your experiences, both as a clinical social worker, so having insight working in the healthcare system, but also as a patient uh, having lived through thyroid cancer. So. Um, let's go back to the opening story where they, they told you that you might never sing again and you said that was more devastating than cancer. So why is that? I think when I was in the doctor's office that day, it was Valentine's Day, I'll never forget it, uh, 12 years ago. And I really didn't have any recollection, uh, any idea that this is what was going to happen. I never thought it was anything serious. So to even hear the words, you possibly could have cancer, was scary enough. Uh, But then he followed it up immediately with, and you may never sing again. And for some reason, that was more devastating to me because singing is a passion of mine. I love to sing, and the thought that I would never be able to enjoy that hobby, passion again, scared me. Um, I didn't know where this cancer was, if I even had it, and then what what the outcome would be, what what the treatment would be. And so I think I was more scared about the singing part at that point. You know that you use, you use your voice a lot, um, and so that's an important part of your identity. Um, yeah, as a clinical social worker, I mean, I, every day I'm sitting and speaking with people and helping them and, and guiding them and and so to not be able to, well, it wasn't so much I wouldn't speak again, although there was possibility that my voice would be ruined, so to speak. I could have a hoarse voice for the rest of my life. That was a scary thought. Um, it just, I think it was just the unknown and the idea of the changes that were going to come and not knowing what they would be. That was the scariest part, I think. Yeah. Before we um, get into all the specifics of, you know, what happened after you were diagnosed, I think uh, it would be interesting for the listeners, given some past podcasts on uh, some similar topics, if you could tell us a little bit about your journey and um, basically how long it took you to get diagnosed and why. So could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, originally um, I had finished my undergrad degree and moved home and during the end years of my undergrad I had gained quite a bit of weight and I came home to see the doctor and I had asked because I kind of noticed some bulges on my neck and the doctor checked him out and he was pretty convinced it was just my weight he said it's just fat nothing to worry about and kind of dismissed it at that point um it was several years later actually 
that another doctor checking me out for having pneumonia felt this kind of lumpy neck that I had and said, I don't think you should have it checked. And I thought, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll get to it eventually. So then it was a year later after that, that my gynecologist actually was checking all my lymph nodes and got to the neck and said, you know, you kind of have this lumpy lumpiness. I said, yeah, I've had that for a while. She said, I really think you should get it checked. And so I finally agreed to it. And that's how this all started. So it was several years after that initial um, dismissal from that first doctor that this all came out. So I don't know how long I actually had had can that cancer, but um, with this form of cancer, it's very slow growing and slow progressing. So it's very possible I had it back when that first doctor checked on me. Mm. It reminds me of the um, podcast that we had with Jennifer Dunn, who talks about weight bias. And, um, you know, so when you, you know, having known that you went through this and when she was on the podcast thinking, you know, you have some parallels with your story about how this doctor sounds like was fairly dismissive of what was the growth that was in your neck because he just assumed that it was due to weight and didn't really take into consideration, you know, that it could be anything else. Yeah, I, I mean, again, we'll, we'll never know because he didn't do anything about it, so I won't know if I really had it back then. But I guess I'm very grateful and, and blessed and glad that uh, him dismissing it, if I had it at that point, it didn't grow faster, it didn't cause more issues and problems, and that we did catch it in time, so to speak, um, before it did any very detrimental damage. So to, um, if you could share with our listeners, so that's a little bit of the journey up, up to that point. And then when they actually did find out that you had cancer, can you share with us a little bit about that encounter and, and how you received the news? Well, um, the first thing that happened was my gynecologist had sent me for an ultrasound. And when she got the results, she then sent me to a surgeon to have the results read, so to speak. Um, even going to see a surgeon, it never dawned on me that I might have to have surgery that wasn't clicking in my head. I just thought, well, this is the guy who's going to just read it. And he was the one, um, on Valentine's day, uh, 12 years ago who said, uh, it could be cancer. We don't know yet. And I, I was not expecting that. I just thought it was going to be, oh, you just have lumpy tissue or like the first doctor, you're just fat. That's what I was expecting. Um, so to hear those words, I was devastated. I was alone. I went by myself to this appointment, and I just came out um, bawling. I, I had no idea that was going to happen. But they sent me for more tests. So I had to have a CAT scan, and, and then I had a biopsy done. And then I went back for the results. And this time I brought our parents because I didn't want to go alone, and they didn't want me to be alone. And he came in the room and started small talk and I was very irritated because I just wanted this so I just looked at him and I said well is it or isn't it he goes oh yeah you have cancer and then he left the room because he had to go get something and I broke down and my parents our parents said uh don't worry we're gonna get you a new doctor because they agreed with me they did not like his bedside manner they didn't like the way it was presented and they didn't like how he just kept repeating, too bad you're a singer. It's too bad you're a singer. You may never sing again. It's too bad. Wait a minute. I don't um, remember that. So that was actually the first. So it wasn't you have cancer. It was, don't worry, we're going to get a new doctor. That was the first thing they said. We're going to get you a new doctor. 
<laughs> well, when he left the room, I was all upset about the way the doctor had handled things, and he kept yeah. talking about the, the singing issue, and, and he was very dismissive, and mom and dad like, we're getting, well, not not we're getting any, they basically were like, we're going to get you a second opinion. Oh, okay. We'll get you a opinion, basically. Yeah. We're going to get another doctor yeah. and get another opinion. Yeah. That's how that came out. So part of, part of, like, we can't, not accepting it, you know, potentially denial or just let's no. let's get a second opinion. Not trusting, I think it was not trusting him, just the way he was so dismissive and he had taught in this, so they're like, we'll find someone new, basically. I don't know if they said second opinion, but it was, we'll find someone else, we'll find another doctor. Yeah. Because they didn't want him to do the surgery. He was a surgeon, but they didn't want him to do oh, the surgery. Okay. They knew I didn't want him to do the surgery, so they're like, we'll find another surgeon. Is, is this where um, they labeled the not only the type of cancer, but the, the phrase that you've used um, in, in different places before about what type of cancer it was? Yeah, he actually said that um, at the first appointment where he said it might be cancer, but he's like, don't worry, it's the good kind. It's the good kind. I mean, if you're going to get a cancer, this is the one to get. And I kept thinking, but do you really want to get a cancer? Does anyone really want a cancer? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, so that was said repeatedly, not just by him, but like everybody I talked to, anyone who knew anything about cancer, a lot of the doctors, you know, if you're going to get a cancer, no one wants to hear those words. And did so, that, I was going to yeah. say, did that make you feel any better? Like, oh, well, it's good cancer. Okay. So. Yeah. Because is cancer really good was what I kept thinking. Is there a good cancer? According to them, I think. The implication is, as far as cancers go, like I said earlier, this is the slowest growing, slowest progressing form of cancer and the least fatal. So that's what they mean when they say good cancer, but it doesn't make you feel any better when someone says you got the good cancer because no one wants cancer. I mean, you know, that... uh, I can't even think of a a comparable analogy at this point. That's like saying, oh, (laughs) you got the best of the crappiest cars on the lot, you know, like, Uh, yeah, the best of the worst of, yeah, so what does that mean exactly? So, um, how, so tell me a little bit about how prevalent thyroid cancer is. I mean, is it, is it pretty rare? So ironically, it's, it's one of the few cancers that has been increasing in incidence over recent years. I think other cancers have been decreasing because of treatments that we have and research that is available. But this one actually has been increasing. But they're predicting this year, in 2019, it's actually going to decline. But Mm. the death rates are increasing. So they believe that in 2019, the the amount of people that will die from thyroid cancer is going to be up Mm. 5.3%. They say three-fourths of people who get thyroid cancer are female, and half of them are under the age of 50. But this oh. is a cancer that can affect children to seniors. Mm. So it, it's, it's still something a lot of people are dealing with. And, and I don't think it's a very well-known cancer. Most people don't know about it. They don't understand it. I certainly did it when I was diagnosed with it. Um, the ironic part is once I got diagnosed and I started sharing with my friends, people started saying, oh, you know, so-and-so has that, or I think so-and-so went through that. Mm -hmm. And I found out that uh, a friend of mine from college, um, Susie, actually went through this exactly one month before me. She was diagnosed Mm -hmm. a month before me. She had her surgery a month before me. 
She did everything one month before me. So we kind of became, as I call us, FICA sisters, thyroid cancer sisters. And we went through this together. We called each other a lot. We helped each other through it. We supported each other. We shared our stories with each other. And it really helped to have someone else who knew what it was, knew what I was going through because she was going through it too. And I don't, I don't know if I would have been so calm about it and um, so positive and upbeat if I hadn't had Susie there to get me through. I want to I want to talk about that a little bit later and, and talk about support because that seems to be a really important theme and for most of the interviewees on the podcast. Um, but but one thing that I'm kind of struck by is, you know, I wonder how much labeling thyroid cancer as a good cancer sort of downgrades the severity of it, you know, and maybe that's why we, we don't really hear about it as often as we hear about other cancers. And there's there's two different kinds of thyroid cancer that I'm aware of. There actually might be more, but I know of two for sure. And one is, you know, quote unquote, the good one. And the other one, I think, has higher rates of fatalities. So mm-hmm. that's the other problem, too, is you know, someone can get thyroid cancer and everyone goes, oh, it's the good one. And they're like, no, but it's the bad one of the good one. So, right. you know, it's something to be aware of. But yeah, a lot of people don't. So um, September is actually Thyroid Cancer Awareness Month. And so I'm always encouraging people in the month of September, but we should do it all year round to have your neck checked. That's kind of our mantra. Get your neck checked. And um um, so I want to uh, kind of transition into your uh, role as a clinical social worker and wondering um, what your experiences have been specifically if you've ever worked or, you know, treated somebody with either cancer or thyroid cancer specifically. So I think more with my current job, I'm working more with the elderly. And so a lot more of the people I work with now are experiencing cancer, have gone through cancer. Um, so it has, over the, the last few years, helped me, I think, with my job as I'm sitting down and helping people um, with anxieties, depression, things that they're dealing with now in life, especially with medical issues. Um, I think I can relate to people with cancer. And uh, it's very rare that I bring it up. I don't actually usually tell people that I've had cancer. Most people don't know. Um, I would say most of the people that might be listening to this that have known me for years are probably shocked and stunned right now that I am a cancer survivor. They never probably have heard my story. So it's not something I discuss very frequently, but I think it helps lend to um, my ability to be empathetic and um, understand what what people are going through when they're dealing with cancer. So oftentimes I'm able to say that must be really scary and it must be um, hard to go through something you don't understand and know. And and a lot of times I get very um, emphatic shaking of heads like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So without having to say, I understand because I've been there, I'm able to understand some of it. Yeah, offering your own um, perspective from your own personal experiences to to understand what they may potentially be going through. Have you ever um, treated or or worked with somebody who had thyroid cancer? Um, Not that I recall. Uh, More more other forms of cancer. So there's a lot 
that I can't understand because our treatment for thyroid cancer is so different mm. than other forms. We don't usually go through chemotherapy and radiation. I had radioactive iodine. I had surgery. I've sat in a doctor's office and heard the words, you have cancer. But beyond that, I haven't gone through a lot of the experiences most people with cancer go through. So on some levels, I can't fully understand what it's like for them. And I don't really try to, but just to um, be able to say I, I, I can understand what it's like to hear those words and have to experience that. I don't recall working with anyone specifically that I was told that had thyroid cancer. Um, I've known a lot of people, a lot of friends in my life. There's quite a group of people that I know, about four or five, that have been through it themselves before me. Um, and then, like I said, my friend Susie and I went through it together. So, you know, it's something you don't really hear about. Most people don't aren't aware that that's a thing. And then as soon as I got it, it was like, oh, but this person had it and that person had it. And it was like, wow, I, so many people in my life have had it. It's um, crazy. It's, it's, it was unbelievable to know that many people. So what advice would you offer um, other clinicians and individuals who are working with those with cancer, potentially, you know, specifically with thyroid cancer? Well, I think the first thing I would say is if you have suspicions of something or if something is abnormal, don't write it off because the person's overweight or they say they don't have any symptoms. As a clinician, if you have concerns, just send them to get tested, send them to get checked. It, it doesn't do anything to you. It doesn't um, cause any setback for you, but it could, it could mean the difference between them getting diagnosed and not. So I think that's the first thing is if you question it or wonder, just send them, have them get tested. Um, I think the second thing would be for any clinician, whoever has to share any kind of bad news with a patient, but especially when you're telling someone they possibly have a disease that could kill them and could be fatal, try to put yourself in their shoes and think, how would you want to be told? Would you want someone to just go, oh yeah, you have cancer, and then walk out of the room? That's not maybe the best way to handle it. And think about how that person might receive this information. It's going to be devastating. And um, so to share that information with the most compassion and empathy you can give them would, would be very helpful. Um, and I think... Um, always consulting with experts. I mean, my gynecologist sent me for the test. She knew the results weren't good, but she didn't know exactly what they meant. So she sent me to, to someone who knew better. That's always good. You don't want to be giving results that you aren't quite sure about and cause someone to go into quite a panic and a tailspin over information that may not be accurate. And those are all really good points um, that you talked about before about, and the, the, point about empathy too you know so to be able to really listen and and try to understand someone's perspective um it can be really helpful too i i i'm curious for those who um either have recently been diagnosed with thyroid cancer um or you know know somebody with thyroid cancer what are some um, insights that you've had along the way that might be helpful for people to keep in mind well i think the first thing that i did was probably one of the best moves was going from just a general surgeon who was the one who shared the information with me. And then I found a specialist. So I found a head and neck cancer surgeon, and that's who did my surgeries. She specializes in this. 
Was that the otolaryngologist? Um, Sorry, I'm interrupt. Is that the otolaryngologist? Otolaryngologist. Yeah. Was that that? Is that who you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my surgeon. She was an otolaryngologist. So I think finding um, a specialist that deals with this, head and neck cancer specialist, an otolaryngologist, that's who I found. She was wonderful. This was her field. This was her specialty. She wasn't just a general surgeon. Um, She put many things in place um, to guarantee and to um, make sure that my voice was going to be as protected as possible. She talked right off the bat about all the things we were going to put in place to make sure my vocal cords weren't going to be damaged. She had worked with singers in Nashville, so this was her, her area of expertise. And to not be repeatedly told by her, you're going to lose your voice, you're going to lose your voice, that um, set me at ease. That really helped. Um, The fact that I found her and she knew about thyroid cancer, she had dealt with that before and done surgery. She knew a lot of the practices that needed to go along with it. And unfortunately, the general surgeon I had seen did not. So one of the things that happened um, was he... When he sent me for my CAT scan, he sent me for a CAT scan with an iodine contrast. I found out from the, the, the specialist, the surgeon, that that's something you never do with someone with thyroid cancer mm-hmm. because you don't want to put more iodine in the body because after the surgery, you have to remove all the iodine from the body. And that contrast um, slowed down my recovery. It caused me to have to um, have my radioactive iodine later than expected and anticipated mm-hmm. because that threw everything off. So those kinds of things are important. So to find a specialist, I would say to find someone you are comfortable with. I was not comfortable with the first surgeon. So to find one that I felt at ease with, that spent as much time as I needed, answered all my questions, that put me at ease and helped me to be more comfortable about what I was going to go through. For individuals who um, are going through the, you know, I guess, because it's a therapy, you said you didn't get radiation or chemo, right? But you had iodine. Radioactive iodine Radioactive is what you have iodine. to go through. Yeah. So what, what would you say, looking back um, at your recovery process, what were some really important parts of that that, you know, you feel that were helpful during that time? Um, I said before, my friend Susie, her and I uh, talked quite regularly, and like I said, she went through everything a month before me, so she was able to give me good feedback and let me know what she had gone through, so she gave me tips for the radioactive iodine, one of the side effects is um, it can all pool and like collect in your salivary glands, so they recommend you suck on um, sour candies, lemon drops. So she gave me that bit of advice, which the doctors hadn't told me. So I thought that was helpful. So she learned different things than I did. And we were able to talk back and forth about, um, different tips that could help us. Um, I had to stop taking my thyroid medicine for a month before the radioactive iodine. And it was horrible. You have no um, thyroid hormone in your body at all, which makes you very, very lethargic. Um, it was very hard to go through. I was so tired and I was working a full-time job at the same time. So it was a a rough time and I had to go on a special diet. That was very hard. I had a lot of support 
for my family, especially my mother at that time, so I could get through the special diet I had to be on. Um, that's all I can think of for right now. Okay. And in the hospital, a lot of things happened, actually, that I wasn't anticipating. It was supposed to be a couple of days surgery in and out of the hospital, but at the time, um, my whole system went kind of crazy, uh, and I had problems with my calcium, I had problems with my magnesium, I ended up staying in the hospital for five days. Luckily, I have a very supportive sister who was with me <laughs> the whole time and stayed with me. You are. That was wonderful. Um, I wouldn't have yeah, my it. whole family, very supportive, but especially you. You were there right by my side the whole five days I was in the hospital, and, um, and that you, was great. You had that a lot of people helpful. come visit, though. I remember that, too. Um, and one of the things that I've heard from other people who have had cancer is the amount of support initially, either after a diagnosis or after surgery or after rounds of chemo, and then it... it really sort of falls off after that. You really don't hear from, from people. Was that a similar experience that you had? Yeah, a lot of people came to the hospital, um, which was great. And um, several came to the house when I first got home. And I think that's true. At the beginning, everyone comes. They bring flowers. I'm so sorry. I hope you're okay. Um, you know, with this form of ca cancer, again, it, it it's not well known, so people don't understand what it's like. So, um, people would come and they were like, you don't look sick. You know, you don't, I, I guess they were expecting to me, me to look like a quote unquote cancer patient. Mm -hmm. I had a friend tell me he was going to shave his head in solidarity. And I told him, you go right ahead. Cause I'm not going through chemo. So I'm not losing my hair. But if you want to <laughs> shave your head. But, um, that well, was, it was nice of him though. <laughs> what? It was a nice thought. I said, you, you go right ahead, and I love you forever for saying that, but I'm not losing my hair. So um, that was, I, again, I think this is a cancer that's not well known, so people don't understand what's involved in it, and it's very different, and that can be hard. Um, I almost feel, I say this all the time, I almost feel like an outsider in the world of cancer survivors because my cancer was so different. The treatment was so different. I didn't go through chemo. I didn't get super sick. I never had any symptoms at all. And um, the worst thing that happened was I was out of work for five weeks, then I was back to work for a couple weeks, and then I was out of work for another two weeks because of the radioactive iodine. But I never got sick. And so it's hard because I feel like I'm in the club, but I'm outside of the club because I didn't go through everything everyone else. Um, but it's still it's still hard and people don't understand it. And so, yeah, people came around at the beginning. They were very supportive. Um, two years later, I had to have a second surgery because some of the cancer that was there originally was not removed. And I'm, I don't know why, if they missed it or it was too small or what, what the issue was, but Two years later, it was still there, and they decided to go back in. So I had a second surgery. And I would say a lot less people came to see me because it was kind of like, yeah, she's been there before. She's going to mm -hmm. be okay. So a lot less people came around. A lot less people checked on me. It wasn't as devastating and new, I guess, this time, I think. And that so, reminds – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That, oh, that was it. That, that reminds me of Laura Ellingson's blog um, – realistically ever after when she was on the show 
um, you know, she talks about how cancer for many, if they survive, is really a chronic illness. And, you know, the amount of support and, and people's attitude toward it really, you know, changes. And yet many people experience sort of lifelong complications and, and you know, effects from the cancer. Um, and, you know, she was really addressing that our perception of cancer has really changed um, and is changing over time because, you know, it's not necessarily some people do pass from it um, and those who don't really do have a chronic chronic identity. Um, would you say that you think of yourself as somebody who has cancer or as somebody who had a cancer? I'd say had. I think that's one of the reasons why in the last couple of years I've rarely spoken about it other than when I had my surgeries. Um, to the point of when I had my second surgery, people I worked with at the time didn't even know. And it was a comment made by um, a former supervisor that um, she had said to me, well, that just shows how little you trust people here and how little you see yourself as part of this work community that you didn't even tell people. Mm. But I think when you're going through it and when you're experiencing it, you decide how you're going to share it and who you're going to share it with and how you're going to talk about it. And I would say for me, day to day, it's not something I think about, deal with, have any issues from because it is what it is and it was what it was and I've been through it and I've come out the other side and there's been some medical issues that have come up since then. I've, I've developed acid reflux as a result. I had chron I did have chronic issues with my voice, getting some laryngitis, having to see a speech therapist. But other than that, day to day, it doesn't affect me or afflict me. Um, and so I've just decided not to share it with people because I think oftentimes what happens is you get the pity from people and you get the, you know, I always say the head tilt. When you say you've had cancer, people go, oh, and they tilt their head at you mm -hmm. and you get the pity. And I don't want to deal with that daily and I don't want all the questions and why and what and how. So I just don't discuss it. But I definitely think I'm someone who had it. And I have survived it. It's been 12 years since my original surgery. It's been 10 now since my second. So I'm in a place, according to my doctor now, that um, it's pretty much over for me. It's highly unlikely for me that it would come back. But I continue to get checks. I continue to have um, scans done and have ultrasounds done on a, on a yearly basis just to check. So it's still something that I, it's there, but the likelihood of me having to go through that again for this kind of cancer is, is highly unlikely at this point. So we're nearing the end of the podcast and I um, often ask interviewees to share some resources that they have. So either for people who um, have thyroid cancer or, you know, have survived from it or um, loved ones who are interested in helping um, someone with thyroid cancer. Well, the best resource for me when I was going through all this, and I'm still, I still use their resources now, is Thyroid Cancer Survivors Association. They have their own website. It's called Thyca, T-H-Y-C-A, and that's why I refer to my friend Susie as my Thyca sister. But they have a lot of statistics. They have information about the, the different types of thyroid cancer. They even have their own cookbooks when you're going through... Mm -hmm the radioactive iodine and you have to go iodine free. They have cookbooks about different foods you can make and you can get that don't have iodine in it and how you can get through that. So I would highly recommend that website for anyone who has been recently diagnosed, 
know someone who's been diagnosed, it can give you a lot of information, and I think it, it helps dispel, dispel a lot of the myths that are out there just about cancer in general, but also to explain how thyroid cancer is different than other kinds of cancer. Excellent. Well, thank you, sis, for being on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. And it, was, it was an honor to be on your podcast. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> And I love you very much, and I'm, I'm glad I could do it. Thanks for being on the show. It's, it's a long time overdue, so I'm glad you're able to make it. Um, thank you to our listeners for listening. If you uh, like the podcast, you can like us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast. We are also on Twitter at Stories Health. And finally, there is a blog, NicoleDeffenbaugh.com slash blog, where you can leave information, feedback or if you would like to be on the show. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh with Health Stories.